Well, good morning, everyone. It has been an exciting and an eventful morning in our church already. I'm so grateful for our baptisms and our new members and just what a beautiful day to worship God. The sun is out. How about that? It's, it's a great day. Well, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and its promise of new life stands as the climatic event in all of history. And it's his story of God's redemptive love that draws us here each week. But I wonder sometimes if it's possible to come to church, participate in worship, and all of the wonderful activities a church has to offer, and even have a working knowledge of individual scripture, and yet miss the overall vision and mission of God and the plan for his people. Perhaps our tendency to draw God down into our busy lives and our story keeps us from fully recognizing the significance of being called into his. In John's gospel, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. This abundant life Jesus talks about is far different than adding Jesus to an already full life, attending a weekly worship service, or participating in a few fun activities. Well, in our passage of scripture this morning, Jesus, in essence, answers the question, what does it look like to be a community of people who live in his story? People who are not only informed in the gospel, but who covenant partner to permeate it in every aspect of their lives. As we open God's word together, will you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, we thank you for this gift to gather as your people. And we know that this word, these words, are written by the inspiration of your spirit, and certainly only you can use them to transform us and make us more devoted disciples of your Son, disciples who were called and sent, disciples who gather to scatter, to gather again. So would you be with us as we open your word? Would you open our hearts? May we hear from you. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading comes from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, and I invite you to follow along with me. It's printed in your bulletin, order, or, order of Worship. That's easy for me to say. It's printed in our Order of Worship if you'd like to follow along there. If you're using the Pew Bible, you can find it on page 1501. Listen now to God's Word. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Well, in our passage, 
Jesus uses two metaphors to describe his church. He says, you are salt and you are light. Two common, ordinary, essential elements. But what does it mean to be salt and light? Well, to help us unpack his intended meaning, it's always helpful to think about what what it might have been in Jesus' day. Salt, as you may know, in ancient times, was primarily used as a preservative. With no refrigeration, the people would salt their meat, and it would help it from going, uh, help it from spoiling, help it from decay. And so, by comparing the church and her role in the world to salt, Jesus is making a certain assumption about the world. He is saying, left to itself, the world is prone to to decay. Just like food that's left out, our world is prone to disintegration. And so when Jesus uses the phrase, you are salt of the earth, he is saying that you are called to be a preservative, to being a presence in the dark corners of this world, to actively seek to work to preserve a culture at its greatest points of decay and decline. Jesus calls Christians, you and me, to bring restoration and healing, to act as preservatives in keeping our decaying world from falling apart. As we see signs of brokenness, as we see signs of decay, what would it look like if in our community, when trouble occurs, when pockets of brokenness are obvious, that we move towards those who suffer, even while knowing our involvement and participation may also trouble us too. Salt preserves and restores, and Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But salt in the ancient world, much like today, had other uses. We know that salt used as a seasoning enhances the food, the flavor of the food that's already there. Food just takes better with salt, doesn't it? And so what might Jesus be saying about salt as a seasoning for you and I? Well, he's saying, I think, that he is alive and active in this world. And as a Christian, as those who are called according to his way, are trained to see, have eyes to see and ears to hear where he's already at work and to line ourselves up to act as an enhancer to what he is doing. You are salt of the earth. Instead of entering into relationships by asking, what can I get out of this relationship? Being salt of the earth asks, how can I bring out the best in you? How can I partner alongside with you in our neighborhoods where we live instead of asking how may I benefit from living here Jesus calls us to ask who is my neighbor you see the message we have received and the message we bring is that Jesus came to heal God's broken family and when Christians develop eyes to see God at work in the midst of brokenness He says we are being salt. Paul tells the church in Colossae, let your conversation be always full of grace, 
seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Conversations seasoned with salt reflect the glory of God as we build one another up. Alvin Schmidt, author of How Christianity Changed the World, considers the positive influence Christianity once had on Western civilization in matters of government and economics, fine arts, education, and sciences, the Christian faith has contributed enormously to the establishment or to the flourishing of mankind. A people deeply committed to knowing Christ and making him known were equally committed to being people of influence in the places that they work and live for Christ. But sadly, a recent survey conducted by Barna Institutes reports that the majority of people who profess to be Christians do not know their neighbors. They do not know the people in their immediate neighborhood. In every home, in every neighborhood, in every workplace, in every industry, we serve a God who has not given up on this world. He sent his son to rescue it and now he says, you are salt of the earth. He calls us to join him in the restoration and renewal. But Jesus uses another metaphor to describe his church. He says, you are light. What does he mean when he says, you are light of the world? Well, it's hard for us to imagine life before electricity. But we know that light illuminates and we know that when we lose power, or if you're camping and you're miles away from the nearest city, that as soon as the sun goes down and it's a cloudy night, can you see the hand in front of your face? It is dark. It gets pitch black. And so Jesus is saying, a city on a hill brings light. And even though far off in the dark, in the distance, the presence of the city lit up serves as a point of reference in darkness. Light brings hope. Have you ever noticed so often that the Psalms associate darkness with evil? For disciples to be light means our presence brings hope and healing, clarity when this life is unraveling and no one else seems to care. Imagine for a moment a community in which Christians are known for more than what they oppose, and instead, as disciples of Jesus, are known as people who bring light and clarity to situations with gentleness and respect. First Peter 3.5 tells us that. He says, always have a reason for the hope in your heart. In other words, be ready for the transforming hope that's happening in your life. And then he ends it with, do this with gentleness and respect. After all, the only light you and I have to share comes straight from the one who says, I am the light of the world. The light we share comes from Jesus himself. If you're ever having a miserable week, just turn to the back of your Bible, the concordance, look up all the scriptures associated with light. I believe your heart will be very encouraged. It's just hard to stay depressed 
when you read about the light of the world, isn't it? In the Bible, light is closely associated with knowledge and truth. Jesus says of himself, as we've said, I am the light. And he says, if you're going to be my follower, bring that truth of the gospel first where? Right here. In every room of your heart, you know that devotion. Allow the love of the gospel right here in every room, in every relationship. And you see Jesus is saying, by my design, as you do that, it will overflow and you will be my witness. Loved and forgiven people can't help but love and forgive others. Cherished and redeemed people cherish and redeem others. When we are people whose yes means yes and our no means no, when we are honest in our relationships with others, when we do not operate with hidden motives, then our very presence serves as a lampstand for those who are living in the decay of this world and perhaps have lost their way. Salt preserves and cleanses, restores and heals. Light illuminates, shines in the darkness, brings warmth and clarifies. Jesus calls the church by her very presence to be restoration, hope, and healing to this dark world. You are salt and you are light. But then he says something very curious. He says, if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything. It might as well be thrown out to be trampled underfoot. What do you think he's saying here? Well, I believe we could spend the rest of today together talking about our opinion of why the church may or may not have lost its saltiness. But if we stay in the context of just this passage, I believe it sheds light on Jesus' meaning for us. You see, right before our passage, Jesus opens with this famous Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5. And you know those first 10 verses are the Beatitudes. And he's saying by his presence, he has ushered in a new community, a new kingdom. And he calls those who will live radically different with this gospel to a new way of living. Remember, he redefines what it means to be blessed. Blessed are those who mourn. What? Yes, for you will be comforted. Blessed are those. And he redefines, he goes through each one. And you see, Christian, as you and I walk in line with the gospel, our lives begin to take on his life. And that is obvious to others in our relationships without us even trying. We have one boss. He's the one we please. And by evidence of that, the world is drawn like a moth to light to the gospel. Now, I think there's another point for us here, though, about if the salt loses its saltiness. The first would be that we don't walk in line with the gospel. We're not on this road of transformation. We still think blessed means that we're blessed and that gathering each week is really mostly about us. But you know what's so great about his design? When it becomes the gospel, it is about us but it's about the people we love too. You remember C.S. Lewis quote, if you aim at the kingdom, you get it all. When you aim at earth, you get nothing. 
truer words have not been spoken. That is the truth. The light shines in the darkness. The church can lose her saltiness if she forgets to whom she belongs. But I believe there's more here that our passage shows us. You see, salt in its purest form, because it was so valuable as a preservative, would sometimes get contaminated. And salt was used almost like money. You've heard the phrase, he's worth his salt. They would pay wages with salt. But when it became contaminated with road dust and other things that look like salt, Jesus says it was really worthless. It, the salt, was ta the taste was gone. And so Jesus is saying to the church, remember whose you are. Remember who you are. If you, as salt, go out into the world in an attempt to be gracious and loving, but compromise your faith in me and the truth, you've lost your saltiness. You're not a preservative. You have no healing power. There's no restoration to be made. And so the tension for us in this passage is real, isn't it? How do we go out into the world and be salt and light without becoming like the world. Paul says this in Romans 12 when he says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll know God's perfect will, his perfect pleasing will. And then the rest of that passage in Romans 12 talks about the, the gifts of the church, you see, a church who's called to a radical new way of life together keeps his eyes, keeps her eyes on Jesus. And when they're out in the world, in their neighborhoods, and in their own families, and in their workplaces, when their eyes are on the gospel, where are you at work, Father, here? One eye on the Father, one eye on the sister or brother at Christ. How are you changing me? And how may I share that? in the life of another. You are salt and you are light. That's a church that is still salty. There's one other, there's one other uh, application I believe we can draw from this as we come to a close, and that is when we hide our light under a bowl, Jesus says in verse 14, when, when we light our lamp but hide it under a bowl, we are keeping the light we've received to ourselves, and in doing so, we lose our saltiness. We've all experienced that. We've been so encouraged by worship, and we want to share it with someone, but we haven't built the capital relationship with that person, and we have no way to share it with them. Whether we get distracted or consumed by other things in our lives, when we refuse to communicate the story of God's redemptive love in a way that it was originally meant to be communicated, salt and light, then we are like the lamp that's hidden under the bowl, and we lose that opportunity to share the redeeming love of Christ with another. Concerned with the church's lack of Christian influence in our communities today, Christopher Wright, author shares this quote with us. If a house gets dark at night, it's no use blaming the house. That's what happens when the sun goes down. The question to ask is, 
where is the light? If society becomes more corrupt and dark, it's no use blaming society. That's what fallen human nature does, left unchecked and unchallenged. The question to ask is, where are the Christians? Where are the saints who will actually live as saints, God's different people, God's counterculture in the public square? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In closing, when people, when God's people communicate a love that transcends the brokenness and decay of this world, she is being salt and light. The good deeds that we do are meant to glorify the Father. Are you a person of salt and light? In your home, in neighborhood, and at work? Do your neighbors know you as someone they can trust? Will you bring clarity to their situation, even when they're still putting the faith pieces of their puzzle together? In this passage, Jesus calls the church to be? Thank you. He calls us each to have clear-eyed optimism in the world. He calls us to be utterly realistic about the brokenness and yet dogged in our hope to move forward, to be a force for good in Christ. This is the kind of gospel-centered community that we are called to be. How joyful it will be with First Pres as we transform the heart of this city with the gospel in hand and as we move out in love. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you have called us to live as a radical new community in covenant partnership with you. And we confess that we often fail at this and left to our own devices in our own strength, we often make a mess. But Lord, we know you love us and are here for us. And your grand design has always been that you call a people for yourself. And through your transforming love, as we surrender our old ways of living, you shape and equip us to be your salt and light. May the good deeds you have planned for us serve your purposes in the world and bring only glory and honor to you. In your precious, unfailing name we pray. Amen.
As I look out into our church family, I see many salt shakers. You are tremendous. I see your work and your prayer. Please share that gift with others so that they may too be salt shakers, that they may too light a lampstand for the world to see. And church, receive your benediction. We belong to a missional God. God the Father has sent the Son. The Father and Son has sent the Spirit. And the Father, Son, and Spirit send the church into the world. Go in peace.